Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today you shall, uh, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Welcome to the Dominion Podcast. This is episode 30 or something. Yeah. 36. 36. You kind of trailed off there, but I knew what you were saying. <laughs> We've done so many, it's hard to keep track. I feel like we're doing one of these every day, you know? Yeah. You know, every day is podcast day. Uh, I'm uh, one of your hosts, Jeremy Boyd. I'm Alex Klusterman. And we got a special guest tonight uh, sitting over here is the ever lovely and uh, handsome and uh, articulate... The Augustine. Um, the Augustine. <laughs> saint Augustine. Well, you are a saint. <laughs> and you are Is an augur. Correct? Yes. That's right. I, I would like to take the, the, the title saint as uh, the Lord gives that to me. <laughs> That's right. He gives that to all I'm, of his I'm people. I'm clinging to that one. Rylan Auger, who is the uh, principal of uh, the Kawartha Classical Christian School. Um, what is it uh, when you have to divulge your interest in a in a matter? Yeah, disclose. A, we all have to disclose that we're involved in this school. Yeah. And so we're shamelessly promoting uh, the school tonight, but d- uh, not directly. In, in fact, what we really want to do tonight is talk more generally about education and the duty of Christians mm-hmm. in the education of their children. Mm-hmm. This has obviously come up in a lot of our discussions recently mm-hmm. as we're talking about dominion, we're talking about government, the role of government, the role of family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, Al. Why didn't you start us off? What is, um, I guess, what is the reason that uh, Christians ought to take control of the education of their kids? Well, because God commands it, for one. And uh, I think one of the the places we need to start before we engage in this conversation is just a call to humility, and by that I mean um, the recognition that we are all prone, not only individually, but collectively, culturally, of having assumptions that are just so massively wrong and do not line up with Scripture. Give me an example of that. Uh, well, the, the the adoption of a secular view of what education is. Right. So we often read, you say we read the New Testament and we read Paul talking about making some reference to a philosopher of the day or... Um, we, we do our background study and we realize that he's challenging these cultural assumptions that they had, or the Old Testament about the gods and the idols. And, and I think it's easy for us to overlook the fact that we are of the same nature and we have idols and our culture has idols. And we have, just as creatures, a finite understanding about God. And when it's not shaped by his word, it can err in the way that it always does with every culture. And I think especially for Canadians, um, maybe because we've been shaped so much by Scripture, we assume as a culture that the things that we hold, the things, and I'm talking about the things that we assume, those are the deep beliefs. The deepest beliefs you have are the ones that actually aren't articulated. They're the ones that you never justify. You never, yes. You just, you take them for granted. Yes. Right, that's the ones you're talking about. Yes. And so uh, what we need to do is ask ourselves as Christian parents, but just as Christians, um, is our understanding of what education is shaped by Scripture, or is it really more of a reflection of our cultural understanding of education, which as we get into, maybe as we talk more about classical specifically, it's really recent. I mean, our view of education as a culture is not even not even just um, historical, but secular. It's just actually a recent thing. Yeah, it's very recent, and uh, it's, it's it's a total failure in almost every respect. But so I want to pause and say, okay, what does Scripture say about education? And actually, um, Scripture has a lot to say. Um, I'm going to read two texts that really shape have shaped a Christian view of education: Deuteronomy six. Uh, is the first one. God's instruction to his people here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You know, the Shema, mm-hmm. the confession of the of Israel. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And 
These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Right. So, and so in a broad sense, that what that text is talking about is teaching uh, the law, teaching yeah. God's law to our kids. Yes. Um, but we extrapolate a, a greater principle from that too, yes. right? Yeah. And um, when they're on your doorposts and your house and your gates, it's not a narrow understanding of God's word that's kind of like Sunday school, but it's separate from all of life. It's that all of your life at every single moment needs to be um, understood through the lens of God's word. That's what that means. Mm. And so a lot of Christians have adopted, and we'll get into this, a very narrow, reductionistic, compartmentalized view of reality in general. Right. That there's these little compartments. There's my church, there's my education, there's politics, there's, my job. there's medicine, there's my yeah. job, there's yeah. my marriage, there's my buddies, and all these little compartments that, that are not really related to one another, um, or we're not sure how they're related. But this is not a Christian view of the world, of reality. Right. And so huh. here, even in the Old Testament, you see a parent's duty to inform their children of how God's Word applies to all of life. Right. Uh, it's interesting. I had a conversation this week with a brother who's um, got a, a new a new child, and he's thinking about uh, what it means to, to raise a child to, to be a faithful husband. Uh, his wife has health issues, and so he is actually unable to do a lot of the things he he feels like he's supposed to be doing in life, yeah. going out and evangelizing or being at, at church as often he was, as he would like. Mm-hmm. But uh, his, his point that he said to me was, I think God is trying to teach me that my main job, my main role is in the home. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of, when you talk about these these assumptions, I think a lot of them, even for Christians, is that in order to be fulfilled and to do the things that God wants us to do, we have to go out there, mm-hmm. go out to the world. I need to get this job. I need to have a career. I need to do all this stuff. Whereas the primary role is in the home. Yeah. Do uh, you guys want to speak to that before we move on? Or Yeah. Well, Paul, the, the second text is from Ephesians where Paul says, right. you know, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And this is historically where Christians have got their theology of what education is, the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And it's amazing that um, in the book, in the letter to the Ephesians, I mean, Paul starts out chapter 1 writing about all the, the blessings that Christians have received in Christ, everything that they've received. Mm. But he transitions to, in the book, to practical application of that. And it isn't just, you know, forsake all familial bonds and everyone become a missionary. It's, okay, how do you actually apply this to your life? Well, one way is people who have children need to raise their children to know the Lord. Right. That's their that's their first duty and their mm-hmm. primary duty. Mm-hmm. Um. So when we think about how this applies today and why this is important, uh, it's not because the public school system um, statistically has been doing a very poor job even in its stated goals, so take with mathematics or something, um, the math scores are down. That's true. It's not because it's a bit of a gong show and children are in school and then they're home and then they're in school and then they're home and then they're on the screen. And um, it's really that a Christian view of, under, of, of education is totally different than what a, what a secular materialist thinks about education. For the Christian, the, an education is about the transfer of an entire worldview. Right. Um, Chesterton said, I actually have his quote, it's great. He said, education is simply the soul of a society as it passes from one generation to another. Whatever the soul is like, it will have to be passed on somehow, consciously or unconsciously. Mm. And that may, that transition may be called an education. Yeah, and I think one of the assumptions that a lot of people have is that the public education or the state education is a neutral 
education. Yeah. And any type of private education is sort of an indoctrination, an attempt to indoctrinate <laughs> yeah. kids into a specific um, specific worldview. And we would say, amen, it is an attempt to indoctrinate people. <laughs> but what people are missing is that the public system is the same way. Oh, of course. And it's indoctrinating people in a, in a very worldly um a worldly thing. So how does, how does it feel being an indoctrinator? <laughs> I mean, you're at school every Chief day brainwashing children to be, uh, you know, good little Christians. Like, what, what's 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 the deal, man? Well, I'll be honest. <laughs> it's a pretty joyful place to yeah. be. So I guess you could say I'm a joyful indoctrinator. <laughs> yeah. I've been there. It is joyful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would just, you know, throw out to what you're saying that there's a myth of neutrality not just in education, it's really everywhere. Yeah. It, it's, uh, uh, but perhaps Christians in our, in our time are particularly ignorant of the, uh, the one-sided or biased nature of the worldview in the public schools. I think people are just, they tell themselves, it's just education. You know, we've it's just it. math. It's just math. It's yeah. just science. Right. Yeah. What worldview could you possibly teach mm-hmm. with math? Mm-hmm. But the reality is nothing, is nothing is neutral. We always convey our worldview. And what we think um, and what we believe at the core of who we are always plays out in what we do. And even, how, and even how the material is taught, not even just the material. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. Right. What do you think a human is and how do they receive information? Right. Exactly. What is information? Fundamental What questions. is knowledge? How yeah. is that passed? These things mm-hmm. all stem from more fundamental presuppositions mm-hmm. about reality. Mm-hmm. 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 So that's an interesting question. So what is the Christian view of the transfer of information is it or uh, is it just you need this information it's like you're downloading you know a file onto a hard drive or is there something more to it what is the christian view of that well i i would say that the scripture teaches us the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge so if you have any concept for what can be known in the mind of a human apart from the absolute fundamental reality that apart from god nothing can be known you're starting on the wrong assumption. There's actually, I mean, not to, we could run down a philosophical trail of it, but uh, John Frame makes some really great points about the fact that where most philosophers go wrong is that they start from epistemology as, a, as opposed to starting from the assumption of the need for revelation. And that's where Christians start. Right. So I would say a Christian view of knowledge starts with we, we assume that God is and that he uh, must be feared and trusted. Hmm. That's at, as the, the, as the basis for all knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 from there, as the scripture uh, sort of unfolds, that right. If if you are a human, you necessarily have to be taught. You're finite. You can't right. know. You can't know everything. And so you are dependent on information coming to you through a medium, whether it's your eyes, your ears, or your what are other sense perceptions, but, mm. but, uh, uh, and, and what the first thing that our senses actually teach us as the scripture confirms is, is that God is, and he ought to be worshiped. Mm-hmm. So from there, the, you know, the principle holds the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Once you grasp that, then you can move forward learning. And, and, and in, in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord and wisdom is set as the antithesis to folly mm-hmm. and folly is actually, um, the willful, we did a podcast on this, a willful suppression of the truth. It's the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Mm-hmm. Um, the fool isolates himself. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. Uh, the fool loves, you know, is, doesn't want to listen. He o- is only content with giving his opinion. The the irony is, you know, the criticism that says, oh, we want to give them a neutral, secular, unbiased education uh, we don't want to give them a biased indoctrination. It's it's a totally ignorant statement. And mm-hmm. apart from the what the fear of the Lord does, it actually sets us free to be the most unbiased we could ever be because we are open to receiving all information. Mm-hmm. So the Christian mm-hmm. is open to receiving not only the revelation from God, special revelation in his word, but natural revelation. Uh, to see the world around us and think about it coherently. I mean, Christians are the ones 
who developed science in universities and medicine and hospitals. And uh, they caricature that Christians are just concerned with something spiritual, so to speak. I mean, we see this in the modern antithesis between faith and science as it goes in the rhetoric, um, or faith in reason or something like that. When when a biblical worldview suggests this couldn't be further further from the case, uh, that um, Christians ought to be able to see and acknowledge and respond rightly um, to to everything that is revealed in nature and in Scripture. Whereas apart from the wisdom of, of the, the fear of the Lord, uh, we end up suppressing the truth. Mm-hmm. We distort it. We make it fit our worldview. We make it fit. We change the facts to fit our narratives. And Christians are prone to this as sinners, but we, we, it's not inherent to Christianity. Christianity is the great, the gospel is the great anti-bias, you know? We will still have a worldview. We will still have presuppositions. Um, but, but because we're relying, relying on revelation and scripture as our mm-hmm. source, mm-hmm. yeah. ideally you're, you're um, submitting your, your will and your mind to that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's fundamentally a humility issue. If, if uh, you don't have the fear of the Lord and taking the posture that you're describing— where you say I must receive in order to know, yeah. Then you take the po- you necessarily take the posture of I must, um, I must think, I must seek out, I must, and not that those things are not things we do in the process of learning, but it becomes about what I do in order to gain knowledge. It, it fundamentally becomes the fear of self, mm. or the or the reverence and worship of self. That's why it can only be one or the other. It, it's, you either fear God and therefore are on the path to true knowledge, or you worship and love self and are on the path to destruction. That's, yeah, that's right. just where it is. And the so ad- it's, Go ahead. Um, so it's really necessary in order for parents to educate their children properly, whether it's homeschooled or in a private institution, it, it's important for them to understand this, like the basis of knowledge. Yeah. They can't just... You, you know what we don't want to say is that all you have to do is is do homeschool or pay for a private uh, school that you believe is doing a good job to be faithful in this area. You have to have the underlying worldview and presuppositions that the Bible has mm-hmm. in order to be faithful in mm-hmm. this area. Yeah, but not even not even to the degree that a parent needs to be able to explain the concept of where knowledge comes from. Right. But, but that a parent has to have the fear of the Lord. Ah. That that if they fear the Lord. They will listen to what he says is right and follow it. Mm-hmm. It's it's not uh, no, no, what you're saying is is right. Like I, I'm agreeing um, that they have to hold to the worldview, but holding to the worldview doesn't mean necessarily being able to articulate the ins and outs of the worldview. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and a, a godly Christian parent can be one who simply fears the Lord and understands the responsibility that comes with it. Right to 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 teach their children his way and his instruction. Right. And it doesn't necessarily mean, well, I can articulate um, the epis- Christian epistemology. That doesn't have to happen, you know? No. You, you can be a faithful parent. But Christians need to reject the compartmentalization of knowledge. We need to reject the um, the myth of neutrality, that some mm-hmm. things are just mm-hmm. neutral. They're not... There's no religious basis to them whatsoever. That's just... That just... That reflects such a shallow reflection on the nature of that subject. Um, I mean, of course, there's a sense to which one plus one equals two is more straightforward and is more um, less susceptible to to gross uh, you know misinterpretations because of one's worldview. Um, that that's just, that is true on one level. Um, but even one plus one equals two is built on assumptions about reality and its mm-hmm. constancy mm-hmm. and its patterns and knowability, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Which is why you see people trying to attack this, the basics of math and say, right. yeah. two, two plus two does not equal four. It can equal five. Yeah. 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 If you change the definition of two and four and plus, mm-hmm. yeah. it can equal whatever you want. Yeah. yeah. It, uh, it's funny. We've been talking about this in the logic class that I teach, but what our world is very good at is constructing valid arguments that contain false premises. Right. That it, that's constantly what's happening. I mean, it's happening 
right now in our in our culture and our government and the way they present things but but it's the same with the math case right well here let me present for you something that connects but at the root what they've done is they've changed the definition mm. they're working from different terms or they are uh working from a different assumption so everything sounds like a tight argument but it's actually not mm-hmm. it's the premises are false and therefore the conclusion is right. false right. so you can say whatever you want um, if you, if you change your terms, if you change the terms, right? Mm-hmm. So another characteristic of a Christian education is, um, that it's a passing on of loves. So it's, it's rooted in the fear of the Lord, but you notice in Deuteronomy, the command is first to the parents to love the Lord your God, and then to raise your children. And, um, Christians for, a, you know, a long time have understood education to be, you know, the teacher ought to love something and teach others to love it as well. And this is totally missing um, from modern education that we, we, we reduce people to, uh, you know, information receptacles, as some people have said. I forget who wrote that. As if just communicating facts is sufficient. Um, but that betrays an ignorance about what a human is mm-hmm. and what knowledge is and how one receives it. And so... Right. Are you just a meat computer? Yeah, or, are you a, exactly. Like, are you a meat computer? I forget where I heard that, but it's an apt description. Of we need a t-shirt that says that. <laughs> Check out the Dominion podcast store. <laughs> but uh, Coming soon. Coming yeah. soon. Um yeah, so one of the reasons KCCS is such a joyful place is we've hired and uh, you know people Ryland as a principal, and all of our teachers are people who love the Lord and they love the students and they love what they teach, and so that is caught. Um, it's not just taught; it's it's actually caught by the students, and you can't you can't uh, you can't fake that. And the world even knows this to a degree. I mean, you get little, I watch a lot of sports, and so coaches are admired, or leaders on a team, we, they would say their passion. You know, they're passionate about it. Right. I mean, we would we would put that in the terms of they love. They loved it. They were, their energy and devotion were given to it, and uh, it excited them, and they, other people were stirred by it. Why does someone's passion encourage you? You know, that's an interesting thing to say as a materialist. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, but as people creating the image of God, like love is contagious. Yeah, I mean, passion in a in a secular worldview is just a chemical reaction in your brain. Right? Yeah, who cares? Yeah, but nobody's nobody's willing to own that at the deepest level. Yeah, no, because we all know it's not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. The other the other fundamental difference is that according to Scripture, who bears the primary responsibility for education? Parents. Mm -hmm. And one of the Canadian assumptions is that the state uh, is in charge of education. And it's actually dangerous to think otherwise and irresponsible and weird. And, um, but part of the problem might be we call it public education. Like we don't say state sponsored education, Mm -hmm. uh, because that would sound like communist or American which I know are not the same, but that's just, where do we hear state-sponsored? Canadians don't talk that way. We talk about public. We don't. T- it's funny, even in the government things, we, we use language to hide the fact that it's a government thing. Right. This is a public service. It's even like, oh, the, the public that's, has nothing that's to do us. with choosing yeah. the curriculum. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm going to throw a grenade down. In the do it. Here. Are you saying that it is not possible to faithfully educate your children and send them to a public state school? Uh, it is impossible if the rule, if the duty of a parent is to ensure that their children are constantly being immersed in the Word of God in a worldview that reflects the Word of God, taught to understand every aspect of their life and every top, you know, subject of human knowledge in light of Christ, and to be imitators of the people that they're following, which the doctrine of imitation has totally been dropped off in the last, I don't know how many years. Mm -hmm. Um, If you think that an unbeliever can do that, you're crazy. Mm -hmm. How can an unbeliever imitate Jesus for your kids? How can an unbeliever 
teach your children to love the Word of God that they don't know or understand or love? How can an unbeliever teach your child to understand how Christ is Lord over all of life and every domain of human existence belongs to him? That That's how I'd reverse the question. I'm not going right. to fall into a little trap of like, you're against public school. It's like, no, you just tell me. You just tell me. The Bible is clear about these right. things. You just explain to me how someone who doesn't believe any of that can do all yeah, of that. I think what people hear when you say something like that is, oh, I'm... You, you don't think people know how to teach things in the public school or uh, I, I know I know a lot of people that work in the public school system yeah. and they're they're you know faithful Christians mm-hmm. working in that system and so are you saying it's impossible and so people hear that but what we're talking about is something on a more fundamental level mm-hmm. yeah right mm-hmm. yeah it's like do I think I think you can train a parrot to eat a cracker yeah like yes do I think that you can, someone can teach your kid to tie their shoes and learn the alphabet and math and and even even learn a great deal of things and even develop uh character and, and all of these I absolutely do that but it falls so far short right. of what we're called to do yeah yeah that's important that when you gave the idea of training a parrot to eat a cracker because if education is training you've missed the point which is actually one of the biggest problems with the the mindset around university right now that everyone goes to university with the assumption that you're being trained for a particular job. Right. That's not what the university it's more was of a vocational. For. Yeah. It, there's nothing wrong with training. Training is good. Mm. Um, training for a particular uh, skill or task is fine. But, but that utilitarian view of education is one of the fundamental problems with state education mm-hmm. because the education and coming back to the idea of it's the fear of the Lord, it's, it's meant to be something that is about the soul. Mm-hmm. Like you said, who, what is a child? Who is a child? What are they? And if you view them as uh, simply a cog in the societal machine, well then, yeah, everything is about just training them to eat the cracker, whatever that cracker might be, right? But if Well, that's, see- that's why the public schools are just so run by activism now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's like... And I know people, my wife went to teacher's college and I know people who went and so, so much of it is actually just learn the buzzwords mm-hmm. and learn to be an activist and learn to take on all these woke things. It's like, does anyone, does anyone even know how to teach math anymore? <laughs> like, yeah. it, we're kind of assuming mm-hmm. it's funny. We're having a conversation that actually reflects like 40 years ago, right. 20 years ago or whatever. It's like, you do know that most people can't teach math. Like, yeah. let, this whole fake idea of, well, at least they teach math well, and they're teaching you the classic works of literature, and they're just not believe. It's like, where's that happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if they teach you the classic <laughs> works of literature, it'll, it'll be all about how the author was a racist, and it, the whole thing exemplifies an old racist system, oh, and blah, blah, blah. My wife was just, we were talking about uh, how her prof absolutely desecrated John Donne's Batter My Heart, Three-Person God. How it, dare into, he? Into something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've read that. You should, be able to, no. you should be able to do pistols at noon for that kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> Maybe we'll edit that part. <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, um, yes. No, but just the the point is, is they, they do. They take those things and they turn it into their agenda. But it, it, bringing back to what you were saying about uh, public education, it's like, turning that question back to parents can the public educator do the things that the scripture says are required of you yeah Yeah. if you view a child as a soul and you you view education as a nourishing of the soul Mm -hmm. then no you you cannot possibly say that an unbeliever can nourish the soul of your child in the the way that they ought to yes and this is again i just I touched on, but the doctrine of imitation is central. Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing. Mm-hmm. Um, human beings learn by imitation. Christ's first command is follow me. Follow me. And and what he does with the disciples for three years is they follow him in his whole life, the rabbi, not just when he gives his Sermon on the Mount, um, not just when he's in the synagogues, like every aspect of his life they observed. And this is what education is. This is why parents have to play a primary role because you can't actually farm that out. Mm. Um, And so it's like, oh, you don't think... So then it becomes, okay, then it's not just information transfer. It's the people that I want my child to be like. Mm -hmm. 
And what we're not saying is that there aren't decent people, sincere people in public education. We're not saying that whatsoever. Uh, we're saying, though, that the standard is, for our kids is more that, than they would imitate decent, well-intentioned people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that they would imitate um, people who fear God and love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's a way higher bar. And what we've done is we've just totally redefined education and we've lowered the bar so low um, as parents. And, I, and, and we've all grown up in that. None of us, you know, well, you did some private education. You went to a Christian school for a little bit. Yeah, very briefly. When very briefly. Younger. But all of us grew up in the public school. Mm-hmm. And um, just wanted to get it over with. Yeah, that, that was the that was that was my method, right? It was just okay. I just gonna get the grades I need to get over this and get on with my life. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And everything I did outside of school was the important stuff, and everything in school was just like, yeah, completely unimportant. Yeah, and that's the way a lot of people feel. So, yeah. So we thought we we need to do something different. So how does a how does a private school fit into a system where we're talking about the parents being in control. Yeah. I mean, are they still not handing over that control to other people? Mm-hmm. If you're not careful. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. yeah. yeah I was going to say, just because it's a private school doesn't mean that it is all of a sudden a Christian school or um, or that it is valuing those things. And that's something that we talked about when we started the school was making sure that one of the fundamental um, principles is this is... If you're going to run a school where children are put under your care, one, you have to have the utmost uh, care taken for for how you're going to structure that school, who are the people you're going to get to teach there. Um, but you also need to make sure that a foundational principle is this is a delegated authority, that this is not uh, – we're not, we're not establishing ourselves as people who suddenly have a right to teach, a, a, who have the authority to instruct – but that parents uh, are are coming to us and delegating that authority. That that when we teach, we teach uh, under the parent's authority. I, I'm teaching a child because the parent has asked me to teach that child. Yeah, and as a Christian parent, um, you know we see this principle in the church as well. That although fathers, for instance, are charged with the ultimate responsibility in the home. Um, to make sure that their children are receiving a Christian education in its fullest comprehensive sense, we still see that God gave some to be teachers in the church. And so it doesn't mean, and and you can run into this problem, some people overreact and think it means that parents are the exclusive influence or teachers of their children. And that's just on its face wrong, Mm -hmm. because we know that Christians Mm -hmm. ought to be going to church and learning from teachers. Yeah. And the book, the letter to the Ephesians, uh, he addresses children in the letter. Children mm-hmm. obey your parents, mm-hmm. which means the children were present in church learning from teachers mm-hmm. who weren't their parents. So it doesn't uh, rule out, and I would say scripture requires a, a more comprehensive view of the community, mm-hmm. um, says that we can help one another. And we can learn from one another. And families are strengthened as those who have gifts with teaching in the community teach. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a way in which you can fulfill your responsibility as a a father, and still your wife can do a lot of the teaching. And there's a way that you as a couple, a married couple, can be fulfilling as parents your responsibility to instruct with also supplementing your instruction with the help of others. Mm. You need to be you need to be very intentional about it though. Um because it's easy for Christians to, oh, there's a great classical Christian school here. And uh oh I send them to you do the youth group thing. Remember youth group, it's like I'm gonna drop my kid to youth group and the youth pastor will fix them. Yeah. Like how are all those people doing by the way? <laughs> like let's just think of the top of our head. It's a miracle that I'm still here. I'll put it, I'll put it that way. Yeah. 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 I'm glad you're here, Jerry. No, it's only by the grace of God. It's not for any uh anything that my youth pastors did. The Wednesday thing? Oh, the Wednesday thing. You know I got That's stabbed right. at, at uh, that youth group? <laughs> yeah. 
The only time I've been stabbed was at a youth group. I can't say I've ever been stabbed. Yeah. Okay, was it like a shank, or a pen, a sharpened pen? It was something. You don't know what it was? No, the no. guy was apparently a drug dealer, and he stabbed me. Oh, well. <laughs> I got to find out what happened there. I'm yeah. Get more information on that. He Fortunately, he stabbed me in the belly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it didn't really, it was like... Well, whatever. There's dude. a lot of other places that that might have done something, but that wasn't one of them. <laughs> it's like his whole arm was engulfed and it just didn't do anything. Yes. Sorry, that was a little bit so of a your whole trail. your whole idea of Christian education comes from the fact that you got stabbed at youth group. I mean, it just it set me on a path of That's discovery. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I need to protect my kids. <laughs> Can't let my kids get stabbed. Can't let them go to evangelical youth groups. Oh, yeah. But yes, there's the there's the abdication of responsibilities. So, as a school, we need to think about this. As a school board, mm-hmm. we think about this. Mm-hmm. Um, as a parent, I think about this. And uh, you know, I all of the parents at your school are not only involved, but I mean, you 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 have to be happy and trust uh, your teacher. Like the biggest question is, do I want my daughters to be like that person? And I can say with all of our staff, 100%. If my daughter grows up to be like Principal Auger or Mrs. Klusterman or Mrs. Inglis or, you know, Mrs. Brown or Mrs. Klusterman, the, the music teacher, um, you know, I'm, I'm a happy guy. I'm, I'm happy. I'm, that's just great. And anything less than that, it's like, well, I mean, they, they do a good job. But it's like, you're just, you're just, Lowering the bar so mm-hmm. low for your kids, mm-hmm. um, but that's the question that has to be at the forefront. So what um, what got you guys interested in following the sort of the classical model? Like when you were thinking of we're going to start a school, what sort of drove you in that direction? We're elitists. <laughs> I was going to say something like that. <laughs> you, think, uh, you think children should still learn Latin? Come yeah. on, I mean, yeah. Well, once you, these kids do we learn like doing Latin, it the way. hard way, Jack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, once you once you go down the rabbit trail and realize you need to do a lot of thinking about your assumptions of education, you you kind of go back to the beginning and you're mm-hmm. like, what is education? What are kids? How do they learn? And you just start re- reading and realizing that oh, many many people have thought about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. There's people who have been wonderfully educated throughout the history of the world, especially since, you know, Christendom. And um, we should maybe be listening to them. Mm. And so I don't know exactly what book I read, um, but they made the case for a classical Christian education. Who was it? Dorothy Sayers who wrote an essay. Yeah, Dorothy Sayers has The the Lost Tools of Learning. But you you probably read that uh, from Wilson's book, Recovering the Lost Tools of Learning. Yeah. And he's referencing an essay that was written. Maybe mm-hmm. you could talk about that. She went mm-hmm. to Oxford or something. Oh, the details of her life. I will not be able to get straight. But yeah, she definitely taught at one of the, the schools in England. Um, but primarily what she's, what she's trying to articulate even then, and this is, she's a contemporary of Lewis. Um, yes, this is in the 1900s. Yeah. Um, even at that point, she is lamenting the fact that education is not teaching the fundamentals of of what we would call the tools of learning. Yeah, the uh, the tools of truth perception of being able not just being able to know some facts. Anyone can be told something and they can stick it in their mind. I mean, though not today right. because but you just have Google for that. But but how to sift information and discern truth from it? Yes, how to actually learn something. So if you not can, not not what to learn, but how to learn. Yes, yes, and if you can equip a child with the tools of how to learn. Now, necessarily, you teach someone how to learn by teaching them what to learn, but um, sorry, uh, teaching them how to think by teaching them what to think. You, you, you have means, but we, we've ab- abandoned that mindset that what you want to equip kids with is is um, intellectual virtues. Essentially, is what you call what we would call them. But mm. yeah, we kind of lost that. And and Sayer's essay has inspired a lot of people to come back to that. But there's a whole wealth of literature that is making a, an appeal for good education. I was just reading uh, today uh, John Milton, the famous uh, English poet, 
um, he has a small essay on education. Even in his day, he's lamenting the fact that there is a, a great work to be done in renewing education. And I think there's something to be said about people constantly with an eye to making sure that there isn't a mission drift in education are the ones who are going to be the most faithful in it. So it started there. It started with us being essentially looking at ourselves and recognizing, oh, we, we didn't get that. We didn't, we didn't get an education that gave us the tools to learn. We didn't get an education that equipped us with the kind of uh, patterns of thought and even, even just the content yeah, of thought. Yeah. That, that was rich. And, and, and when you start introducing uh, what the classical uh, model word, the, the sort of classical buzzwords, truth, goodness, and beauty, I mean, just ask yourself, did your education really uh, furnish your mind and nourish mm-hmm. your soul with truth, goodness, and beauty? <laughs> No, I, I just yeah, I just, I just feel like most <laughs> no. pe- most people need to be honest, strong and, no, and say no. I uh, um, I so I went to the public state system uh, in French immersion, same, and so the majority of my education was in French, hmm. and my all of my French teachers in French class, so where we're learning French literature and stuff, they were all existentialists. So I got to read all like the Camus and Moliere and all these other guys, and. Uh, it was it was interesting. Even then, I knew like something was up. I'm like, this stuff is really bleak, and it's a whole different world. Um, but it's, I mean, there like Camus was, you know, good writer, uh, engaging, and all of that. But the worldview behind it is so bleak and dark. There's no beauty to it. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. definitely didn't furnish my mind. I got a good I got a good insight into what a you know narcissistic existential worldview is all about. So that's mm-hmm. good. Um, <laughs> that is good. Yeah, don't want to do that. I and I could recognize that it was completely meaningless and futile, even yeah. even back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, anyway, and we're seeing this played out. I mean, there's the character piece, but like the last two years have demonstrated on a large scale the absolute inability to think. Yeah, like you literally believe the most irrational things. People believe total contradictions and they can't tell their contradictions and they don't care to think about it. Mm-hmm. It's like, and, and, the, and the reason is they're not taught to actually think about it. They're taught to do what they're told. Like, I'm the one right. who tells you, this is what's true, write it on the test. Which is what you get when, when you uh, look at human beings as just meat computers and you're trying to download information into their brains. Yeah. You know. And critical thinking now just means being critical. Right. And then thinking is critical thinking, which is ironically extraordinarily conceited and is a great obstacle to any meaningful thought whatsoever. Thinking you know everything. Right? I remember university being like that. Seminars would make you wanna just cry or leave, you know? It's like the most just the incapability of having a meaningful conversation. I quit the English program. Uh, I started in the English program in my undergrad um, thinking that uh, textual analysis would be a great uh, sort of uh, leeway into uh, moving to a seminary, a master's uh, of theology or something afterwards. And uh, I abandoned English because the seminars were just full of people that wanted to read their thoughts and feelings and opinions into the text as opposed to actually saying, well, what did the author actually have to say? Why did they actually write right. this this way? It was it just pure narcissism. And now there may be some good English programs out there still. I hope there are. You don't have to name what institution that was. I won't. I won't. But, but we all know. <laughs> but we all know. Check his bio. Yeah, don't read my bio. Check his bio. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's what actually got me onto history because it was in history that I actually still found people who were looking, at least at that time. Yeah, I mean, it's probably things, things are probably now. taking a, t- a turn now. But the teachers who who wanted to say, okay, well, what happened? Let's assess the. Let's look to the the content. Look to the sources. Let's read it and 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 try and land somewhere. And uh, you need something like you need people like that. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe some distinctives of a classical education. Um, one, the big thing is what we call the trivium. Mm-hmm. And that is the 
that refer, it depends how people use that term. That could refer to these stages of an education. So typically, what is it? K to four is the mm-hmm. grammar stage, mm-hmm. and then five to eight is sort of the logic stage. Yeah, and then you have your your nine through twelve. Your high school is a rhetoric. The rhetoric stage, and in the beginning, we're really focusing on. Um, basically giving the facts of things. So there's a lot of chanting and reciting and singing and memorizing. Mm. Um, And then in the logic phase, you teach not only formal logic, which doesn't happen anymore, but you encourage students to ask the questions of why. And Mm -hmm. you're teaching them how to Mm -hmm. think. And then in the rhetoric phase, the goal and the climax of an education is to learn to communicate and to defend such things. So there's a heavy emphasis on on the written and oral defense. And uh, we think that this and, – and people have for hundreds of years thought that this works well with the development cycles of a child. And I can say young children love to sing and chant and memorize, and they're so good at it. Mm-hmm. This is why everyone knows it's easier to learn a language or an instrument when you're young. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your brain, the elasticity, and, and everything is just well-situated. Sometimes I feel like I can't learn anything anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, but, the, but the trivium, interestingly, this, 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 this triad also is how you learn anything at any given moment. You need the facts of the situation. You need to actually understand what they mean, and you need to be able to articulate them. Mm-hmm. And until you've done that, you don't have true understanding mm-hmm. um, at all. And so this is woven in, and then the kind of diet of things is, uh, is, is great books and literature, and we mm-hmm. follow the course of history, you know? Um. So it's it's a very rich education that is suited for the child. I don't know if there's anything you want to add. There's so much we could say, but mm-hmm. that's yeah. kind of your elevator speech. <laughs> yeah, the yeah the trivium can be a great. Uh, it's an interesting word, so it leads to some interesting conversations. Yeah, yeah. But the uh, the essence of the of the classical portion is 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 again coming back to the idea of nourishing the soul on truth, goodness, and beauty through the means of the liberal arts, which includes then not, not just thinking about trivium as stages of learning, but, but also the, the heartbeat of what you are teaching them, mm-hmm. that, you, that these are also subjects. They actually are, they are arts or skills that you need to learn. Um, art, art is a better word, but um, the, the art of grammar and the art of logic and the art of rhetoric are are necessary tools in the mind of a child for grasping, well, God primarily, and uh, to know him and to live for him and to, in, to enjoy him. Um, the classical portion, it comes into more than just, you know, the, the you're not just picking up classical um, books and therefore you've done it, but um, it's a whole way of thinking about education. So we've 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 actually hinted at a lot of those things, just as we've talked about what Christians should think yeah. about education, and that's Christians essentially picked up and and made education. Like when we talk about classical education, we're really talking about thoroughly Christian education, yeah, like truly Christian education, yeah. not just we we we. It's not we a fad. Here. Yeah, this is. If you want to teach that, that that a child has a soul, if you believe in the uh, doctrine of imitation, if you believe that God is to be feared first and then all knowledge follows from that, the classical model and pedagogy is the way you get there. Mm-hmm. And that's we didn't uh, we didn't just say, hey, classical is really kind of cool, and I think it'll get a lot of people coming to our school. And no, we just realized, oh, if we're going to teach our children to know and fear the Lord, this is the path to do it. Mm-hmm. Embodied learning, uh, a feast of ideas, and and teachers who are worthy of imitation, mm-hmm. and all of that kind of comes from the classical, the classical model. There's 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 more we could say, but that's kind of the nice thing about it too. Start doing if you're listening to this, start doing some research on classical education, and you won't be disappointed. Yeah, it's not elitist. It's beautiful. It's an amazing thing. So maybe there's a practical piece to this: is if people if people are listening and they're not grossly offended by us, and they're like, you know what? I should think about that. What What are some books they could read? You mentioned a couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think Wilson's Recovering the Lost Tools of yep. Learning is an excellent start, especially given what we've said about the way parents tend to think about um, uh, the neutrality of public education yeah. and, and not seeing the importance of Christian education. Wilson does a great job. 
of of doing that and then bridging it into the idea of classical yeah. being the fulfillment of that. If you want to do a bit more of a deep dive into classical education, um, uh, there's an edited work by Wilson called Repairing the Ruins, which mm. has lots of Very short good. chapters. Yeah. Very good. Short chapters, which are, 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 yeah, they just really break it down. Um, Christopher Perrin has written, we actually have this available on our website. It's a short little PDF. It's called An Introduction to Classical Education uh, for Parents. What's uh, our website? Uh, our website is kawarthaclassical.com. KawarthaClassicalChristianSchool.com. Yeah. I guess for some people, Kawartha might be a weird word. For us, it's we're used to it because it's the region we live K-A-W-A-R-T-H-A. in. K-A-W-A-R-T-H-A. Yeah. Kawartha Classical. Yeah. Um, and what you about C.S. Lewis, Abolition of Man? Yeah, I was just going to yeah, that. Yeah, that, that one, I think you won't... Uh, you won't get so much about the nature of uh, a classical education as you will get a very helpful articulation of the mindset that rules our world right now yeah. and what has destroyed public education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, he, and he wrote is, that when? That was written in the 60s? 70s? Uh, 60s? I think... Maybe even a little earlier. I think earlier than that, actually. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but that book does touch on the idea of sort of awakening the child to something. Whereas the the educational system of his day was deadening to the deadening them to it by mm-hmm. sort of turning everything into a utilitarian mm-hmm. um, type of end game. So, yeah. Uh, any others? Um, I'm trying to think of the best ones. What are you? Uh, who are? What are you reading right now? So we're going to do a little reading yeah. right now. So we might as well start. What are you reading right now? I have too many books on the go that are not being finished fast enough. What's to... the last book you closed? Uh, the last book I closed. Or finished. Even. I, I was I was reading uh, Kingdom Through Covenant by Gentry and Wellen recently, which is uh, a hefty tome. It's big. And, uh, and I've been working slowly through John Frame's History of Philosophy and Theology. Which is a, an excellent book mm-hmm. and well worth the read. You're a you're a big John Frame fan, aren't you? Uh, honestly, I haven't read. All, this is the first book of oh, his really? that I've okay. really picked up, um, and and I actually disagree a bit with him about how to view and read the Greeks, but uh, that might be because I'm a bit of a a Greekophile. I guess you're a classicist, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you're a Neoplatonist, yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> certainly not. How do you feel about Aquinas? I think he's a lot of people talking about him lately. Yeah, I th- I think he's brilliant. I think Frame would say that he uh, doesn't that he uh, leans on Aristotle too much and not enough on the scriptures, um, which is probably true in some. That's probably a healthy critique of Aquinas. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. How about you, uh, Al? What are you reading right now? I'm reading Truman's book, the Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Yeah, I'm preaching on a. Genesis 1, creation, human sexuality this week. And um, really that conversation is the overflow of more fundamental um, things like how we view ourselves. And uh, he talks a lot about expressive individualism. Right. And really the whole sexual, all the, all the sexual stuff now is, is a reflection of those ideas. And postures, right. and so um, I'm going to start there. I think it might be a multi-week thing, but yeah. So I'm reading and enjoying that. I'm I picked up a J.C. Ryle biography again. Um, I think by Ian Murray, and uh, Ben gave it to me years ago now. But I I watched Little Women, the recent, the newer one, and it was fantastic. Okay. And it made me realize that I want to read 19th century um, English or British authors. I've never I feel read like that I book. I told you that you need to read Dickens. Oh, so you've never read Dickens? No. Man, start with Tale of Two Cities. That's, I, what, that's what I'm reading. Is that the awesome. one that starts in the graveyard? No, in uh, the best of times and the worst of times. Well, maybe it was Twain. No, no, it was. I, there is a, oh, uh, no, there are know, graveyard scenes in, in that. Books, I just but. found it really morbid, one of the ones. Anyways, I, I'll take your recommendation. I want to read the Space Trilogy, because you brought it up. Yeah, Lewis's that's good, too. Space Trilogy? Never yeah. read it. Yeah, I've read the first one only. Yeah. And uh, I actually, uh, there's some students reading it at the school Yeah, right I saw that. Yeah. That kind of. But the Ryle, the Ryle thing is a good, 
Um, he's of that time period, and uh, he was a really he was a dude. Um, he was raised in wealth, and he went to Eton College. I believe that's part of Oxford. Uh, but then his father lost everything, and he um, ended up going into ministry rather than pursuing politics. And he ended up being kind of like the blue-collar scholar. Um, he really reached out the first bishop of, I believe, Liverpool. and He's got a book on preaching, right? Yes. Okay. Simplicity in preaching. J.C. Yeah. Rao. He's got a book on holiness. No? His book on holiness yeah. is one of the best things I've ever read on the nature yeah. of sanctification and justification mm. and holiness. Mm. And I thought, man, if everyone read this book... So many of the debates we've been having over the last 10 years just wouldn't even be a thing. Hmm. So that's what I'm reading. Hmm. Nice. Uh, I would, yeah, if you're going to read Dickens, I'd, I'd read Tale of Two Cities. Um, I'm actually reading Oliver Twist at the moment. I haven't hmm. read that before. But Tale of Two Cities is in my top three of all time. Hmm. Great book. Good to know because I'm in the thick of it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Now, I didn't read it, read it. I listened to it. So maybe it's different if you're actually reading it, um, but I, I love listening to fiction, yes, uh, rather than rather than reading. And I could do so much driving for my job that it makes it really easy to do that. Hmm. So, yeah, very good. What part of the book are you in? Uh, I think I'm just past the first part, but even the first part was great. Yeah, the little story of the reunited father and daughter. Oh, the and, cobbling yeah, and yeah, yeah. yes, yeah, so descriptive. Yeah, it's it, he's an excellent. I think you would appreciate one that there is a a certain virtue to his writing, like a it's not dark and twisted, and, and even when it is morbid, it's 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 just real. But uh, he also has a bit of a wit to oh, him, yeah. mm-hmm. and I think you would appreciate the subtle wit. Mm-hmm. Great turns of phrase. With. Yeah, yeah. As it relates to education, what I appreciated about Little Women when we watched it is. And Rebecca, who's read the books, my daughter's listened to all of them. There's multiple ones. By the time she was six, she'd listened to all of them, mm. which is probably why tonight she said to Rebecca, Mother, I beseech you, when she was making so, a request. is that the same author as Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility? No, this is no. Louise May Alcott. Okay. But what I noticed about it was the depth of character and thought and recognition of what's going on around you is so much deeper um, than a Marvel movie. Mm. And I just thought, man, I long to read and listen to and learn from people who have thought deeply about the human experience. Mm -hmm. And um, I think 19th century British authors, as far as the English language go, that was kind of a height. Lewis Tolkien, they're the overflow of that. And then it was, then it's gone. Mm -hmm. So um, that's what an education can do, you know? If people are dating when I say, maybe this is where I close on, like watch Avengers and then watch Little Women and just get back to me on that one. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Just, 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 uh, I'll leave that one with you. (laughs) Just leave this right here. Hmm. Or better yet, Read the screenplay for Avengers and read Little Women, and then get back. <laughs> yeah, then get back. Yeah, to exactly. It. Don't even because you can't compare the lights and stuff. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> well, this has been great. Yeah, I kind of want to just keep talking about books here. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I watched uh, over the holidays. I watched Dune. You recommended Dune. Yes. Yeah. Okay. What do you think? I it's it's interesting because I've never read the books and I had no idea what they were about. So okay. I like going into a situation like that where you have no idea. I was the same. Um, I really enjoyed it, and the, the one thing that threw me off was the soundtrack, uh, which was good. Was um, you know the kind of soundtrack you get in a movie trailer? It's always suspenseful because they yes. want you to keep watching <laughs> as if something's about yes. to happen. The entire movie is like yeah, that. and so there was never any musical resolution. You always felt like the plot was just about to start. Yes, and then the it, movie ends, and then it ends. And now they're making that's a great point. They're making another one, but I, Jer, only you would be able to to make that comment about that's, the that's music. That's a great. That's a great. You point. would see. It's that. a suspense the whole time. Just yeah. suspense, which I'm not against. And obviously, they were doing it on purpose. And it was very, very well done. Everything about it was well done. Mm-hmm. Um, but not knowing the story, I, I kept thinking, when is the story going to start? Mm-hmm. 
right? They kept it's like they kept setting it up and setting it up. So I don't even know how many books there are in the series. Yeah, I don't know. Is there like one, uh, two, I five? Know. I actually no idea. No. Anyway, it was good. I enjoyed it. Yeah, and I look forward to the next one. I noticed you didn't answer my message about that country song I sent you. I didn't listen to it. I, you okay. know what? I got onto something else and I never went back to listen to it. Listen to it with some headcans on. Tell okay. me what you think. Uh, I I like country music. I don't particularly like modern country music. Like yeah, I know. That's why stuff. I sent it to you. Sometimes it's catchy, but it's usually so vapid. What's the song? Yeah. What's the song? What is it called? Doing This. Who's the guy who sings that? Is that Luke Bryant? No. It's the only one I know. Luke Combs, right? <laughs> Luke Combs. Luke Combs doing this. Yeah. It's like everything good about modern country. Hmm. But that could also mean everything bad about modern country. Yeah, likely does. Like super catchy, great hook, kind of sentimental, hits you in the heart. But nothing actually happened. So I actually was going to, I sent it to Jaron. I'm like, this is either going to, Jeremy's going to either be like, yeah, I like that. Or he's going to be like, oh, that tells me a lot about Alex. Yeah, maybe I'll listen to it on the way home and get back to you. Finally. Yeah, do that. Yeah, all right. Well, thanks for joining us on uh, the Dominion Podcast. Got to hit those sound effects. It's been great. Um, I'm sure there's plenty more to talk about on this subject. But for now, I'll leave you with this. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. We'll see you next time.